Trust me, it goes with the sermon. <laughs> Name of today's sermon is Handling Life, and that's very vague for a reason. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians. While you're going there, I read a, a little quip from a gentleman named Eddie Edwards from Ripley, Tennessee. He shared the following story. A salesman talked, he says, to my uncle into buying a 10,000 personalized pens for his business with the promise that he would be eligible to win a 32-foot yacht. A born gambler, my uncle agreed. Well, guess what? He won. And a few weeks after the pens arrived, his prize showed up. It was a 12-inch plastic yacht with 32 plastic feet glued to the bottom of it. You know, sin's a lot like this. It will promise you a lot. However, when the promise arrives, it looks nothing like what you expected. Paul, again, we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, and Paul preached the gospel to the Corinthian church in the early 50s during his second missionary journey. Now, we know that opposition grew fierce, but the Lord spoke to him and said, I have many people in the city. And with that encouragement, Paul stayed on for 18 months teaching them the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. And it reads, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know what a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's a lot going on in all of our lives. But Lord, we gather here with one purpose, and that is to worship you. And to study your word and to put it into practice. And so at this time, Lord, we we ask that you would honor 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to cleanse us from our sins and to forgive us. And we praise you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that though we are not perfect, we are being perfected. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our lawyer, that you died for our sins, that you advocate with the Father. Oh, God, revive us again. Make us new in this place. Holy Spirit. Come in this place and speak to our hearts. Lord, let your presence reign in here. 
and in our lives when we leave here. Give us opportunity to share the gospel and invite people to know you, Jesus. And then invite them to come to church. We thank you for it in advance in Jesus' mighty name. The strong son of God and the church said, Amen. Our life principle today is live in sincerity and truth while handling blatant sin both individually and corporately. Live in sincerity and truth while handling blatant sin both individually and corporately. First point, handle blatant sin. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, something that even pagans don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You are so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. This sin in the church at Corinth wasn't just simply tolerated, but it was accepted. The man is is living with his stepmother, and Paul says that even pagans, that is, Gentiles, don't do this kind of thing. Not only was the man accepted, but the church was proud of it. How were they proud? Well, we're not told specifically, but this man was probably not just your average churchgoer. He was was more more than likely what we would call a dedicated volunteer, someone the church was grateful for. You know, the specific sin was not something that used to be common in America either. We would have looked our nose down at that and counseled them. But today, this happens outside the church and in the church all the time. I googled the phrase, man marries stepmother, and it came up with hundreds of thousands of news articles about this very sin. Now, think about this. That doesn't include people who don't even make it into the news. You know, Billy Graham once said, if God does not judge America for its sexual sins, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. In other words, judgment is coming to America because of our wickedness, not in only this sin, but every other sin that we have reveled in. This particular sin wasn't even found among the pagans, the Gentiles. Guess what? It was not found amongst the Jews of that day either. We are told in Leviticus 18, verse 6, None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. Deuteronomy 22:30 says, A man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. Deuteronomy 27, 20 says, Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say, Amen. So how does this sin and any other sexual immorality or any other sin in general come to be tolerated amongst God's believers? You know, it's even celebrated in churches today, sin is. Well, the thought process usually goes something like this in their minds. God is love, and if God is love, then he will forgive me for my sin, and I can live in sin because he forgives sin. The second thought process is, I am saved, and I cannot lose my salvation, so I can sin all I want. The problem with the second one, we're going to focus on that for a minute, is, is it shows that they were never really saved. 
If that is how you feel truly, then you did not, did not come to know Jesus. If you were baptized, you went down a dry center and came up a wet one. It meant nothing. Sin is something to be ashamed of. It's something to be repented of. That means go one way, you're, that's the way you're going, turn around and go the other way. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. That's called repentance. It's not something that we continue to live in day in and day out. These kinds of people do not have their consciousness cleansed before God. So hurting God in this way does not bother them. They don't care. They're looking for fire insurance or they're playing church. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. We know that those who are, being, who are saved begin to grow in the fruits of salvation or I should say the fruit of salvation. The longer we live in Christ, the more obvious to all that that fruit is being produced as more and more begins to grow. You know, when you look at an orange tree, you see those buds and you know oranges are coming and then it grows an orange. So it should be with salvation. You start to see the evidence of fruit and then fruit begins to grow. Galatians 5.22 says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. He also said, Paul also said in Galatians 5.22, let us not, or last part of that, 5.22-26 says, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. As for the first thought process, we're going to go back to what we were talking about. Paul addressed this himself in the book of Romans. Remember he said... Remember what I said? Sin. God is love, therefore um, I can sin and God's grace will just cover me and I'm good to go. That's not how it works. Romans 6.1 says, Well then, should we keep on sinning that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live in new lives. And since we have been united with him in his death, we also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. 
death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. So what does Paul say to do with such a man? Someone who is open, blatantly sinning in front of all. What do we do? Does he say to celebrate someone who's living in this way? Who's living in sin? No, of course not. Does he say tolerate such a blatant and open sin in the midst of the church from one who counts themselves as a believer? They confess they're a believer, yet they live in sin and see no problem with it. No, we don't. We don't tolerate it. He says that the man should be thrown out, disfellowshipped, removed from the local body of believers. Folks, that's a part of church discipline. Church discipline is not something that's practiced much today. Why is that? Well, one reason is it's because if you end up disfellowshipping someone or disciplining someone, guess what? They just go down to the street to the, to the other church that will tolerate their sin. Does this mean we should not engage in church discipline? No. We follow Christ and not man. Blatant and open rebellion against God should not be tolerated in the church. Now, I have plenty of examples of, the, of sexual sin in the church. However, I'm going to share just one. Uh, this is about a man who was a deacon, and he was asked by a woman to counsel, to counsel her about her marriage. Some red flags. He didn't counsel with the, with the husband. That's flag number one. Number two, he was a single man. He was widowed. Number three, they met alone in a room with no windows. Number four, he was not trained to do pastoral counseling in any official setting, yet he was allowed to counsel in the church. Now, I never meet with anyone personally of the opposite gender for any official counseling by myself. It just doesn't happen. I'm sorry if that offends you. If you'd like to see someone else, you may but I will not counsel with you by myself. The Bible says avoid all appearances of evil, even if there's nothing going on. Avoid all appearances of evil. That's my policy. Now, what ended up, what ended up happening with these two was she left her husband and she married her counselor. She married the deacon. Not only was this sin tolerated, and overlooked in the church, but people actually were glad for it. They, they sung praise and lauded them for such a wonderful match that God made with them. He's still a deacon. 
This was over 15 years ago. He's still in the same church, as is she. The husband didn't come back to church, obviously. There was no church discipline of any kind. As a matter of fact, they're seen as upstanding members of their church to this very day. And he teaches Sunday school to the senior adults. I'm sorry, folks, but that's a problem. And that's a problem in modern churches in America. Open, blatant sin is not only tolerated in the church today, but it is applauded. I know of a pastor, or I should say an evangelist at this point, young man in his 20s. He decided he was going to cheat on his wife. He got caught. And what did the church do? The church said, okay, take six weeks off and then you can come back. Are you kidding me? He just disqualified himself from ministry, period. The husband of but one wife. You don't do those things and then go back into ministry. But yet it happens all the time. I know of a pastor who's local. And he lives in a parsonage with his mistress. And they're okay with it. This ought not be. Worst thing is, is it's a Southern Baptist church. This should not be happening. I read a news story this week that the second largest United Methodist church just pulled out of the UMC. That's a big deal, as they have 14,000 members in that one church. Why did they pull out? Well, they said they were tired of blatant and open sin in their denomination and it not being taken care of. What were they doing? What are they doing? The United Methodist Church not only backs LGBTQ, but they have ordained homosexuals and now transgenders to the ministry. That ought not be. In our own denomination, if you were here with the enemies within the church this past Wednesday, your mind would have been blown because it focused in on some of our Southern Baptist seminaries and some of our leaders in the convention. Now, if anybody in the convention ever picks this up, this recording up, I will be blackballed, but I'm about to tell you something. The 11th commandment of the Southern Baptist Convention is, thou shalt not speak against your leaders. You don't do it. Our Southern Baptist Convention working with the state under, I believe it was Russell Moore, from what I understand, took Southern Baptist dollars and has helped build mosques in this country. We as Baptists give to the cooperative program. We give to the North American Mission Board as well. We send people to plant churches. We've not planted very many churches as compared to the amount of money that's come into the cooperation or the cooperative. As a matter of fact, 
One individual said he wasn't okay with some of the things that was going on in his local convention. And he was contacted by somebody and said, just keep your head down so that you'll keep receiving the money you need to build your church. That's what he was told. He left the convention. Folks, there is a slide happening toward progressivism and wokeness in the Southern Baptist Convention. And I'm tired of the politics that I'm seeing. I'm tired of the wokeness that I'm seeing in our convention. We have, they have changed the name of director of missions for our local, our local um, area conventions like the Lake County Baptist Association and Volusia County Baptist Association. I don't even think that's what they call themselves anymore over there. Um, but we've changed the name to not director of missions, but local strategists for missions. I can tell you of one local strategist who said, personal evangelism is done. We should not be doing it anymore. We can do that online with an icon that will tell you, tell them about Jesus. No, folks, the scriptures does not say, get online and tell people about Jesus only. Yes, that's an avenue. Yes, we should be doing that. But we should also be doing personal evangelism. Jesus said, go and tell the whole world. He didn't say, just do it online. Of that, I am ashamed. And now I can tell you, I am officially blackballed. <laughs> but it is the truth. And I will not step back from the truth. So what is our response in these kind of things and with these kinds of sins happening in our churches and in our organizations and in our denominations? What do we do? As Southern Baptists, pray for the convention that our leaders will either get saved or return to Christ. That they'll return to Christian conservatism and stand up for biblical principles. One last thing. One last thing before I move on to my next point. Rick Warren, who has caused all kinds of controversy in the, in the SBC, he wrote his resignation for retirement. But only after he ordained three women as pastors. The scripture says that God has appointed men to be pastors. How can a woman be the husband of but one wife? It can't happen. I'm not saying they're not able. I'm just saying that's not where God has placed them. I can tell you right now, I can't do anything in this church without my wife. She is amazing. And no, she's not listening. But without her, I couldn't stand up here and preach. I learned a long time ago in ministry, I don't go and do ministry to a place that God has not 
given my wife peace about. And let me tell you, after the last church, before this church, I never thought that God would give her peace about anything in ministry. But the second she walked in this door, she said, God has called us here. And I said, you're right, as an interim. She said, no, you don't get it. God has called us here. I said, all right. You're right. Um, but anyway, Rick Warren did that and then immediately resigned. At the Southern Baptist Convention, when the messengers arrived, it was brought up. And what did our wonderful Southern Baptist leaders do? Did they disfellowship this congregation for being unbiblical like they should have? No, they tabled it. I have no idea if it will ever be brought up again. It should be. We need to stand up for biblical principles. Especially uh, when we're talking about people in the church and in our associations. We're not talking about the unsaved people. They're unsaved. It don't matter to them. It doesn't apply to them. It applies to us. We need to make sure, not in a mean way, but make sure that we're practicing biblical discipline. That's what we need to do. Confront blatant sin in our own lives and in our churches. Number two, we're to live in sincerity and truth. Live in sincerity and truth. 1 Corinthians 5, 3 through 8. Even though I am not with you in person, I'm with you in spirit. And as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church. I will present with you in I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. Then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this is sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. Then you will be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. So let us celebrate the festival, not with the old bread of wickedness and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Live in sincerity and truth. What is the ultimate goal of church discipline? It is that the person or people will repent and return to the fellowship. That's the ultimate goal. Now, in a previous church where I served an associate pastor, not the last one, but one before that, I saw it work. I never thought it would work. It did. Not only was I amazed, but so was the senior pastor. The individual was disfellowshipped from the church, and a few weeks later they showed back up and stood at the very end of the service in front of everybody and apologized for their open rebellion to God and the church. 
You see, they were the biggest gossip in the church. And their gossiping was tearing the church apart. So church discipline kicked in and did what it was supposed to do. And there was healing in that church. That's the goal. Matthew 18, verse 15. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other believer or other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. You know, it's amazing what happens when we actually follow what the Scriptures tell us to do, isn't it? You know, you know where else someone was turned over to Satan for his betterment and repentance? In the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 31, it says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Mm. Paul now gives us an example of what a little bit of sin can do, not only to a church, but an individual. Just a little bit of yeast ruins unleavened bread. You don't make unleavened bread and throw some yeast in it. You know, we talked about common sense earlier. That's kind of common sense. I've never made bread. My wife has. I didn't know what yeast was. Okay? When we were first married, I had no idea what yeast was because she made bread. I didn't. I didn't care. I just ate it. And it was good. But when you're trying to make unleavened bread, you don't throw yeast in there because it leavens the whole lump. Sin, the flesh, can ruin a church. And it grieves the Holy Spirit. Not only does church discipline not only bring a person who is in sin and to confront their sin and get it right, whether they choose to do so or not, but it removes the sin from the congregation where it won't work its way through the dough and ruin the local church. Paul uses this illustration in Galatians as well. In Galatians 5.5 he says, But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. You were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Jesus had a similar illustration about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They'd twist the scriptures to suit them and cause people to openly sin. We have that going on in so-called churches all around America today. 
whether they be of mainline denominations or whether they be charismatics or whether they be Pentecostals, sin is open and it is blatant in the church. And this is what Jesus said about the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 16, 5. Later after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And at this they began to argue with each other because they had not brought any bread. And Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves? And the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the baskets of the leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he was speaking about the yeast, wasn't speaking about the yeast and bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The Christian life comes down to one thing, folks. Pleasing God. Doing His will, not out of some sense of duty, but because you love Him and you don't want to hurt Him. Knowing that He wants us to be holy ought to be enough for us to want to be holy because we want to do what our Father asks us to do out of love. 1 Peter 1.16 says, Because it is written... Be holy, for I am holy. If you remember nothing, remember this. Live in sincerity and truth while handling blatant sin, both individually and corporately. I saw Matthew 18 work this week. Somebody asked me to go with them as they confronted somebody. And it worked. We didn't have to bring it to the church, but it worked. There was repentance, true repentance. And that's how the Christian life is led. Guess what? You are going to tick each other off. Know what else? I'm going to tick you off. And none of y'all have ticked me off yet. This time. (laughs) Al's like, I'm getting to it. Give me time. But when it happens, we follow Scripture. And we see the healing and the restoration of the Lord. And that's how it should work. As the ladies come to sing, let me ask you a question. I don't know of anybody in here who's living in blatant sin. Either that or you're real good at hiding it from your pastor. But if you have a problem with somebody who is a believer, whether in this church or not, then you need to go to them and make it right. Follow what the scripture says. That's actually called church discipline. Go to the person. If they don't receive you, take two or three more. If they still don't receive you, take it to the church. 
And what that means is the elders of the church, the deacons, the pastor, seek their wisdom that they have found in Scripture, get wisdom from believers, and then if, if it comes to it, they may need to be disfellowshipped so that their soul may be saved, so that the sin nature may be gotten rid of. Secondly, if you don't know Jesus Christ, everything I just said to you sounds ridiculous. It does. Yeah. Yeah. You need Jesus. You cannot be a Christian without Jesus in your life. That's right. That's right. And you cannot be a Christian without Jesus Christ in your life. Because when you walk in with Him, you are walking in His spirit. That's right. And you will be different from the world. That's right. You will be different from the world. You will live different. People are going to call you funny. Oh, yeah, sure they will. Yeah. They've called me all sorts of things. And that's okay. That's okay. Pretty much. Because that one was obvious. <laughs> but God is good either way. But if you don't know Jesus, whether at home or here, you need to know him. Because you've got one destination. That's hell. You know, people say, I, I hear it all the time. I heard it on TV the other day. People don't really change. They just put on a facade. You're right. People don't. Because they in their sin nature. But Jesus does. Spirit. He can give you newness of life. He gives you new nature. Jesus changes people. You want to change? You need Jesus. Lots of people say, I want to change. I don't want to be this way. Then you need Jesus. All you got to do is say, Lord, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you. Come into my life, be my master, and be my savior. And if you mean that with all of your being, you can be saved. You can be changed. As the ladies, come, as the ladies sing, if you'd like to join this church by letter, by statement, or baptism, I'm up here. If you want special prayer, I'm up here. If you'd like to just stand and sing and pray for... Uh, people's rear ends that belong in these pews, you go ahead and do that. They ain't here yet, but they coming. Miss Joe.